I'm a big believer in transparency. And I'm also a big believer in as the market changes, because this dynamic is not going to last forever. And it will come down in price. And to some extent, it'll give you an opportunity to be a hero and you can always adjust prices down. Welcome to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods, the nation's first podcast devoted to the business and lifestyle of the hospitality industry. Now, here's your host, Woolco Foods CEO, Stephen Toberoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. I am your host, Stephen Toberoff. And today I want to talk about a subject that is making the news in a variety of contexts very important and certainly very important in the restaurant industry right now, and that is inflation. And I want to talk about this subject first from sort of a macro overview, share with you my thoughts on what is inflation really, what's going on right now, what's the big picture, so to speak, and then drill down closely into how it's impacting the restaurant industry And most importantly, what can owners and managers and and others in the hospitality industry right now do to navigate the current environment and have it not be something that is unduly negative or has an adverse impact on their business? So that's what I'm going to do today. And let's just jump right into it right now with just an overview, talk about inflation. So inflation from a traditional understanding, and perhaps the most commonly used quote to describe it, is too many dollars chasing too few goods. Meaning that in the normal course of events, people have so much money that no matter the fact that the supply of goods and services are readily available, the amount of money that is available overwhelms the supply and prices keep going up. And it leads to a vicious cycle. People believe that the product they buy in April is going to go up in May, so they better buy it now. And people who are thinking about making a purchase in, say, July, accelerate it into April or May because they fear that the price is going to go up in the future in July. And that just further reinforces the process of driving up prices. So that's what inflation would be in a classic sense of the word. And It's a challenging dynamic. It can cause a lot of pain. People make a variety of historical uh, observations about it. They, They point to Weimar Germany as an extreme example. They point back to the 70s in the United States of America as an example. And we can get into that. But that's kind of a classic view of what inflation would be. And under that scenario that I described, what would traditionally happen and what would be efficacious would be that the Federal Reserve, our central bank, would begin a process whereby they raise interest rates. And the higher that interest rates go, the more expensive it is to access capital, which makes people less likely to borrow. The more the economy would slow down as a result of that, and that would bring down prices and hopefully tamp down inflation because ultimately economic activity would be constrained. Now, unfortunately, most of the time when the Fed begins a raising cycle, or at least in recent history, it leads to a recession. But there's always the hope of a what is called a soft landing, that the Fed is going to be able to magically calibrate interest rates so that it hits the perfect level, the inflation tampers down to what they want it to be, 
And the Fed has a goal, a target of 2%. And when I say the Fed, the Federal Reserve, it's the Central Bank of the United States of America. This dynamic is playing out in other parts of the world, but we're going to keep it focused in the United States. So that's what inflation would be, and that's what would particularly happen. And so people are looking at the news right now, and they're seeing that the consumer price index is at the highest it's been in 40 years. And people are looking at inflationary numbers, and they're hearing newscasters and others say, wow, this is the worst it's been in in 40 years. And for sure, prices are going up. The price of oil, the price of food, the price of a lot of things. But I would argue that what we're experiencing now, today, is not so much a byproduct of inflation, but a byproduct of policy decisions made by our government and other governments around the world. And as a result of that, The traditional mechanism of driving down inflation, i.e. raising interest rates, will not work. So what I mean by that specifically is let's talk about oil for a moment, energy prices. Everybody knows that the price of energy has been going up dramatically. When you go to the gas station, you can see that the price at the pump is up dramatically. And in fact, the price at the pump was going up even prior to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But the reason why oil is going up is really twofold. Yes, for sure, part of it is demand has come roaring back now that everyone is you know, back out, the economy in the United States and many parts of the world is, is up again, people are flying. So there's demand for energy, to be sure. But as you may remember, the federal government of the United States made the decision to really tamp down on energy exploration pipelines that are used to transmit oil. And the current administration is very much in favor of transitioning us to what are called alternative or renewable energies. And I am in no way, shape, or form making any political commentary here. I'm simply making economic observations. So one of the main reasons why the price of oil is as high as it is is because our government has made the deliberate decision to reduce supply. They're not interested in the United States being energy independent. They're not interested in doing what they can do to increase supply. They have other interests and objectives. When you couple that with what's going on between Russia and Ukraine, which is, again, it's a policy decision. It's a tragic policy decision that has been made, which is to go to war. But that's taken oil off the market because of the sanctions we've put on Russia. So there are a variety of government actions that have been put in place that if reversed tomorrow, for example, if tomorrow the president were to come out and say, you know what, I'm changing course. We want to be energy independent. We want to pump as much oil as we possibly can. I'm going to reopen up leases to a variety of sites. We're going to open up Anwar. We're going to do everything. Again, I'm not saying he should, he shouldn't. I'm not being political. I'm being economic. Were he to simply make that statement, we would see the price of oil come down dramatically. Were there to be a peace, God willing, between Russia and Ukraine, the price of oil would come down dramatically. My point is you don't need the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates to effectuate this. Conversely, if the Fed raises interest rates and we continue to constrain the price of oil, both here and if the war between Russia and Ukraine continues, it's not going to be efficacious. Eventually, they can raise rates high enough where it chokes off all demand and we have a massive economic problem, but that's not their objective. Same thing with food. Food prices are up 
because one, energy is a huge input into food, right? But two, you have other issues that are emanating from the Russia-Ukraine war, such as fertilizer prices, such as prospective prices for grains. And those dynamics are going to continue unabated and drive up the price of food, or at least keep it from going down, regardless of what the Fed does. So I'm arguing that those dynamics are not inflationary. There's absolutely no question that since 2008, the Fed has printed a ton of money. And there's absolutely no question that there are certain asset classes that have been benefited by that, and the Fed can impact through raising rates. And right now I'm thinking of the stock market. The Fed can absolutely bring down the price of stocks by raising interest rates. You're seeing it already. The market's been in a sell-off. The Fed can absolutely bring down the price of housing by raising rates, which would lead to an increase in mortgage rates eventually as the 10-year goes up. And as the price of interest rates for a mortgage goes higher, the price of a home will come down because affordability goes down. But unfortunately, if you've listened to what I've sort of been observing and if, if what I'm saying is correct, we're setting up a recipe here which is going to be quite unfortunate because on the one hand, for the average American, the price for the things that they're buying and when they're really getting sticker shock, such as oil, such as gas, such as food, I forgot to mention one other thing, which is those services that are a part of the supply chain, you know, we have a global supply chain, and there have been many parts of the supply chain that have been artificially closed down due to the pandemic or due to government actions, I should say. And so again, when you have supply chain issues and you have factories shut down and you have shipping lanes disrupted, that reduces supply. And again, prices go higher because demand is there, but that's not inflation. If the supplies were normalized, you would see the pricing for containers to go down, the goods within them to go down. That's not inflationary. And so unfortunately, what we're setting up for, I think potentially, is a very sad dynamic where the price of things that people rely on, gas, energy, necessary goods, will continue to stay high or perhaps go up. But some of their wealth, quote unquote, may come down the price of their home, the price of the stock market. Again, I hope that doesn't happen, but I wanted to give sort of a big macro overview as to my thought as to what's going on right now. Because I think it's very easy to sort of get caught up in the headlines and just think, oh, what's going on here is inflation and we've got a big problem and we're going to have to see several rate hikes to deal with it. You know, it can lead to a lot of confusion for people who are not that familiar with economics people who are not that familiar with what's gone on in recent history and people who haven't thought about it to one degree or another. And so that's my view. I think what's going on right now are a number of dynamics that are driving up the prices of things we need that are not a byproduct of demand overwhelming supply, but rather a result of supply being deliberately constrained, deliberately constrained, whether due to a war, whether due to policies made by governments, whatever. And that will not be solved by raising interest rates, at least not immediately. And so that's sort of the macro issue as I see it. And perhaps I'm right, perhaps I'm not, but that's how I look at it. But let's talk about what's going on now with the hospitality industry at large. And then I'm going to scroll down to a more granular level to New York. So the hospitality industry at large is obviously facing the the challenges of, let's just call it inflation for simplicity's sake, because the cost of goods are going up, the products that are being purchased, protein, groceries, paper goods, 
labor, gas, everything that it takes to run a restaurant seems as if it's going higher. Those are real costs. Those are real pricing pressures. And so the question is, even putting aside what's going on with the end user and the consumer, we'll get to that. What are some challenges that restaurants are facing on a macro level or a national level, and how should they think about them? So we've already sort of listed what the challenges are. Uh, it seems as if the cost of everything's going up. And so the question is how to address that. And these are some of my views. The first thing I would say not to do, do not do, in my opinion, is cut staff too far or lower the quality of your ingredients. You know, right now we're at a moment in time where the hospitality industry is making a huge comeback. People are eating out. People want to be out. People are getting back to everything that they love doing. And what you don't want to do is have the reputation of your restaurant compromised because people get poor service. If you've cut the staff too close to the bone and your customers continue coming in at the rate they have been or higher, inevitably you're setting yourself up for a negative customer experience. It's always a balancing act with staffing. That's something you have to do. But I would resist the impulse to cut indiscriminately without really being judicious about it because you don't want to compromise the relationship that you're building with your customers and have it have a negative impact and then they have a negative experience with your restaurant, they tell people. The second thing I would not do is cut the quality of your products. If you're a restaurant that's been in business for years and you've made your reputation on a given dish or on the quality of the ingredients you use, now is not the time to try to save some money by using cheaper ingredients where the customer is going to see it. If there's other places where you can make some decisions for a less expensive alternative, perhaps with napkins or perhaps with other things that are not going to impact your cuisine or your cocktails or anything that is associated with your brand, then do that. But do not compromise the quality of your ingredients right now because, again, you have to look at the long-term value of your customers and you have to look at the long-term value of positive referrals from your customers. There's ways to address this, I believe, without putting yourself at risk of really tarnishing your brand and the reputation that you've spent years building. It's a very obvious and easy decision for people to make. Well, just let's get cheaper ingredients and let's cut staff. But when people don't think it through, over the course of six months, nine months, 12 months and beyond, it can wind up costing you more money than you think of. So where can you look at expenses and make some changes? Because certainly you want to make sure that you're not paying more for things than you have to. So the first thing which I already alluded to is look at those things that do not impact the customer experience and look at the price of those. And you guys know what they are. You can look at everything from if you have a lot of streaming services for your entertainment in your restaurant that people don't use, non-food items, if you can look at that. Any expense that you have in your business that does not directly impact the customer's experience, absolutely analyze. See if there's anything that you can do. Second of all, Look at the price that you're paying to these third-party delivery apps. Because right now is a good time, and I'm seeing this with so many restaurants now, that what they've made the decision to do, and again, it has to work for you. You have to know your market. You have to know your restaurant. You have to understand what you're doing. But it may be a great time if you offer delivery or pickup to every time you send a delivery or a pickup 
through a third-party app. You include a flyer. Call our restaurant directly and save X percent. Pick up from the restaurant and pay Y percent. If you have a robust in-house delivery service, really promote that. If there's an opportunity to do any type of negotiating with those third-party firms, do that. We've gone through this on prior episodes in other contexts, but this is one to really think about because I'm seeing it more and more. That's a huge expense that cuts into margins. If there's a way to mitigate that in any way, shape, or form, I would do that. Second thing you want to do is double down and triple down on loyalty programs for your customers, as well as any type of incentives or givebacks or promotions that you can offer. Right now, everybody, your customers, are feeling inflation the same way that you are. So people are very much price sensitive. People are very much thinking about this. And so if you can use the environment to, again, really enhance a loyalty program, if you have one, if you don't have one already, I would suggest that you put one in place. And this works for the five-star Michelin, three-star, whatever restaurants, all the way down to a burger shop. There's many, many ways to engage and facilitate loyalty and appreciation with your customers. Now's the time to double down on that. The other thing you want to do is if you can craft a sort of promotion that brings people back into your restaurant or encourages people to refer you to others, because the landscape is competitive under normal circumstances. And I would imagine it's going to continue to get more competitive in certain markets. So anything you can do that can create a win for your customers, either saving them some money or giving them a financial incentive to refer you or to promote you, you want to do that. Very important way to drive up, you know, because again, just think about it. Some of your costs as a business, your rent, your utilities, right? These are fixed costs. So the more revenue you can get, the better it's going to be and it's going to help offset the increased cost of inflation because you're not going to have to pay more rent if you grow your revenue by 20% or 30%. In theory, you're not going to have to spend more on your utilities. So there is a real significance to getting your top line up. And this is one of those strategies that will enable you to do that. I really think you need to do that. The final thing is, is you're going to have to raise prices. Now, I understand that a lot of times people are adverse to do that because one, it can be scary to raise prices. And two, a lot of you are just very loyal to the community. You've always wanted to be very fair. But we're in an environment now where everybody understands that things are going up. And I think if you raise prices where you need to in a transparent manner, People will understand it. Right now, the consumer is still very robust. You do have to keep an eye on trends. You do have to keep an eye on what's going on with the consumer because at some point, and I don't think we're near it yet, but at some point, inflation gets to a point where people change their, their consumption habits. And again, I'm talking nationally here. This is not for the New York City market yet. But if you have to raise your prices, you simply must do it. The reality is that I've always thought that raising prices is a better solution than doing anything that compromises the experience of your customer. So sometimes people talk about diminishing the portion size or taking away certain sides or you know any, any way to cut the cost. I understand wanting to cut costs. I understand looking at the cost side of the equation. I think it's important. But I also think there's an enormous amount of equity in your brand. People are coming to your restaurants or your bars or your bakeries or your hospitality institution because they love it. They want that experience. 
And so you have to be extraordinarily careful altering that experience in the name of enhancing profits, which is what you're doing when you're cutting costs. You're trying to maintain your profit margin, salvage your profit margin, enhance it. I oftentimes think the better bet is to just raise prices and be transparent with people. And if you do it within the context of more loyalty programs and more bonuses that incentivize people to come and to refer you, I think it can be done without causing damage. And I I think in many ways, if not most ways, it's the better solution. So that's my view for the restaurant or hospitality industry at large in America. I want to talk a little bit that's really geared towards the New York City market, the Jersey City market, where we are located at Woolco, and what I'm seeing here and what I believe is going to be the case. So in the New York City market, eating out or getting takeout for a large segment of the consumer base is almost a necessity. And this has been this way for a long time in New York. There's a large section of New Yorkers who just don't cook. And this is common in urban markets as well. You know, if you go to Chicago, you go to San Francisco, you you go to LA. One of the main reasons why people live in these markets is because they want to have the optionality of dining out or ordering up or living that city lifestyle. And so in that context, whereas in many segments of the market, dining out is a discretionary activity, and it's one of the first discretionary activities that gets looked at as people's wallets become strained as a result of inflation. That dynamic, I believe, does not play out nearly as quickly in the New York market, and it may not play out at all in the New York market, depending upon where this thing goes. So that's one observation that I have, that New York City... It's going to take a substantial amount for people to change their habits. And remember, we still are in the year where many businesses are getting a tax deduction for legitimate dining out expenses, and they're using it as a way to give their employees perks and and all of that. So there's a variety of support mechanisms in place, something to keep an eye on. But I do think New York is a little bit different in, in this market. One of the strategies that I think is really important in New York City both for locals or regulars, you might say, and tourists, is to focus on upselling and cocktails. When you have people in your restaurant, like any business, again, let's go back to the fixed expense dynamic. They're sitting at the tabletop. Many of your expenses are fixed at that moment in time. Leverage the relationship you have with the consumer at that moment in time to incentivize them to get a dessert, uh, perhaps to try a cocktail they haven't tried, Do whatever you can do to maximize the amount of money they spend in that particular engagement with you. It's a situation where they're there, and if you create enough incentives, whether it's training your staff to really engage with people, having explicit bonus offerings, doing whatever you can do, it's a great way to offset inflation because, again, you're only going to have to wash that tablecloth once. The electricity that's expended is only going to be done once. The rent, once. The staff is already there. So the more revenue you can generate from that experience, whether it's a two-top or a party or a celebration, the better it is. And so you really need to think about that as you take reservations. You really need to think about that as you take reservations for larger parties and make it a, a, a big part of what you do, all right? The third thing is, and we've discussed this in prior episodes, but I think it's very important in New York City, 
particularly with the number of people in New York and elsewhere in America that are still working from home. The working from home dynamic is still very much at play. Offices are, I think, in New York, last I read, were at 40% capacity. Who knows what metrics they're looking at. But one thing I do know is people in New York are going out like crazy. And so people who are working from home, whether they're on the Upper West Side or in Soho, in Brooklyn, wherever, it's almost the reverse of what it used to be, meaning that people would take the subway to work, they'd drive into work, they'd commute, they'd put in a day's work, they'd fight the uh, traffic home, they'd do the commute home. They just want to stay chill, watch Netflix and relax. Well, now you have people that are in the house all day, they're doing their work, they want to go out. And so their desire to go out is partially because they want to enjoy the food or the cocktails or whatever experience you're offering in your restaurant. But part of it is they want to go out. They want a change of scenery. That work in the office used to provide, now it has to be provided by something else. So anything you can do, and we've discussed this, as I say, in prior episodes, to make your restaurant a destination spot. The obvious things are always the playoffs are on. Do you have the Brooklyn Nets game on? Something that really took off is game night. But I think having those dynamics at play where you make your restaurant a destination so that somebody who's been at home all day and says, you know what, it's trivia night at this place, or you know what, I can go and watch the Oscars there, or you know what, I can go and watch the game, or you know what, I can go and they're going to have a book discussion. Be creative, but anything you can do to make it a destination will not only enhance the probability that people come out and go to your spot, but it'll give you some additional pricing power. Because once people are going somewhere for something more in their mind, they're going there for something more than dinner and drinks, they almost subconsciously know they're going to have to pay a little bit more for that. That'll help you grow the the top line revenue from your restaurant, which again is one of the most important ways to deal with inflation. And then, as I said above, it's the same in New York. You do have to be judicious with price raises, But when you have to do it, you have to do it. The reality of the situation is that um, New York is an extremely expensive city. And different restaurants in New York have different core customers. Some really cater, and we've had all kinds of restaurants on, on this podcast, so you've gotten an opportunity to hear from places that do a phenomenal job where the vast majority of their clientele are regulars. Then you've heard of other restaurants or bars where they're getting a ton of tourist business. Then you have other ones where the big business that they get is corporate, corporate dining. You know, as I say, 40% is not nothing. And those places that are up and running and people are doing lunches and they're having dinners for their office staff or the law firm, whatever. So you really have to know your clientele. So for example, if you're a restaurant and you know that 90% of your clientele are people from Wall Street, Well, Wall Street had record bonuses this year. That's a segment of the market that's going to easily tolerate price increases relative to a restaurant that is relying almost exclusively on regulars. And you know that the regulars may have some type of a budget that they're working with. So you have to first know your customer to the extent that you can. And then once you've made that sort of analysis – You have to raise prices judiciously where appropriate. I'm a big believer in transparency, and I'm also a big believer in as the market changes because this dynamic is not going to last forever, and it will come down in pricing to some extent. It'll give you an opportunity to be a hero, and you can always adjust prices down. 
But again, I'm going to underscore what I underscored above because I think it's so important. Do not compromise your brand to enhance your margins. Obviously, if you're on razor thin margins and God forbid you're really in peril, then I guess you do what you have to do. But Hopefully no one's in that position because the fact of the matter is, and I want to be very optimistic here because I am optimistic, I'm extremely bullish, thank God, on the New York City market for a variety of reasons. Clearly people love going out. They love hospitality. They love to dine out, watch games with other people, drink, party, do all that stuff. So the fundamentals of this business are, are well established and people love it. I think that activity and economic activity is moving in the right direction. I personally believe that because of the reasons that I mentioned above, what we're experiencing is probably more temporal in nature, meaning I don't think we're dealing with massive structural inflationary problems. I think that there are some tweaks that could be done relatively easily that'll have a substantial impact on the price of things that are really driving price increases for people. So I'm very bullish, but I wanted to do this episode because I just wanted to share my thoughts with everybody and share some strategies on how to navigate it and don't panic and don't be overly impacted by every headline that you read because the headlines are meant to give a very simplistic and therefore at times, perhaps oftentimes, inaccurate view of what's going on. You know, think about it. If your customers are coming in, in other words, here are some metrics to look at. If you're doing more covers now than you were doing in 2019, that's great. Okay. If you have people lined up to come to your restaurant or you're doing more in takeout, or if your sales are doing great, that's terrific. That's the most important thing. These other dynamics can and will be navigated by you. And they'll be navigated successfully. But it's important to think critically and it's important to have an understanding of what's going on so that you can make business moves appropriately rather than just be reactive. And again, these are just some of my thoughts. Would love to know what you think. So as always, please feel free to email me, Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N, at WolcoFoods.com or you can DM me on Instagram at WolcoFoods and Really enjoy going through the subject with you. Would love to hear your thoughts. Would love to hear if you have a different opinion or different strategies. And always like to learn from from you guys because it's it's something that we, we do together. This is a, a dialogue. So in any event, I want to thank you all for everything. And I just want to wish everybody a great day and have an awesome, awesome day. Thank you for listening to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about Woolco Foods or Stephen Toberoff, please visit us at woolcofoods.net.